Lord, as we go through this sermon, let us understand what you would have us do. Let us never forget that we are to go to the other side. And that part of our passion for you is shown in the way that we share our faith with others. Lord, let your words speak loudly and let mine be quiet. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The kids can be dismissed. As the kids go downstairs, I can't help but be excited about this series in Mark. I absolutely love the Gospel. I don't care if it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but I love working through the Gospel, just seeing Jesus every single day, but speaking about Him on Sundays. And last week, Pastor Bill, I believe that he masterfully described and laid out that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. At no point did Jesus sin against God's laws, but defied man's laws that go against God's laws. That's the difference. You see, we're to obey man's laws if they do not contradict God's laws. And I say this because as we go through this sermon, we're going to see a Jesus that looks like He's bucking the system. And I never want us to think that He's sinning here. And I can see Jesus. He's going against the establishment. He's healing people. He's speaking common sense, which we don't know much of these days. And people are drawn to Him. So turn your Bibles to Mark 3. We're going to start here at verse 7. Jesus withdrew with His disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed. From Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that He was doing, they came to Him. Jesus. He has great crowds. And they're coming from Judea, which is at least 70 miles away. Jerusalem is 80 miles. And it's not just the Jews. It's people from Edomia, which are the Edomites. They're the people that are descendants from Esau, Jacob's brother. And then there's people beyond the Jordan River. They were often Gentiles. And if we go to the Mediterranean, we see Tyre, and we see Sidon. Tyre was 35 miles, and Sidon was 50 miles. They were coming from all over to see this Jesus. And right now, they're closing in on Him. And He calls the 12 disciples, these men that He wants to live life with, and they get this boat so that He won't get crushed. That's how many people are falling in and coming in on Jesus. All of this is happening. These people are coming to see Him. They can't resist what He's doing. But not all support Him. It's so weird to see in this world that we live in. We see the things that Jesus has done, but yet not everybody is supporting Him. Not everybody is coming to a saving grace in Jesus Christ. So often, people want to destroy Him. I don't understand how they could resist Him. You see, they're watching Him do the same amazing things. We look at this world we live in now and we see these same amazing things and some people respond this way and others respond this way. These people around Him, they're responding with hard hearts instead of responding with salvation. Even while they're watching Jesus, He's healing people. He's casting out unclean spirits. Mark 3.11 And whenever the unclean spirits saw Him, they fell down before Him and cried out, You are the Son of God. 
These unclean spirits, they know who He is. And they have no choice but to obey Him when He demands it. And yet the scribes, these men who know the Old Testament, they have knowledge of the Old Testament, the law. They write and draft the documents. And yet, they're calling Him the Son of Satan. They're saying that Jesus has an unclean spirit, which is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And Jesus responds back in Mark 3.29, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. So the question today is, who is Jesus in your life? How are you going to respond to Him? You see, because throughout Jesus' ministry, people responded in different ways. When we believe that the Holy Spirit is going against God, when we believe that the Holy Spirit's works are that of Satan, then we are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And when we're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, when we're against what the Holy Spirit is doing, we will not be in the presence of God. But in the next sentence, we also must remember that, that I don't believe that blaspheming the Holy Spirit is permanent. Not until the day you die, at least. I mean, people can turn at any moment. They can give their life to Christ. They can be sisters and brothers in the faith. And we must hold on to that as we look at this message. So not only are some going against Jesus, but there are others that only care about what Jesus can do for them. I watched this skit by John Chris the other day, and he was spoofing the, the You Bible. He called it the, the Me Bible. And in the Me Bible, you can change the text to say anything you want as long as it doesn't make you feel bad or it doesn't speak into your life and make you convicted. You can make the text say whatever you want. Those people only care about what Jesus can do for them. And to be honest with you, they've made themselves God. And then there's another type of person, those that are passionately in love with Jesus. Now, they may be grateful for what Jesus has done for them, but their love for Jesus Christ is what flows out of them to other people. It's how they respond to this world. You see, Jesus is not just part of their life. Jesus is their life. Is Jesus first? Is He first? And everything else flows from that. Jesus is radically awesome. How do we know this? So Jesus is in the boat and thousands are listening to Him. He's literally spelling out the Gospel. Jesus is a big deal. We would say that His ministry is thriving. And He starts to tell four parables. And as I read these four parables, I noticed four key points. You see, I could have broken these all down in one, but today I want to use them as a whole unit. Use them as working together to share the Gospel for people. So number one, do you have ears to hear? Mark 4, 8-9. through nine. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So often we associate this with other people. This parable of the soils, we look at it as, as other people's heart as we begin to share the Gospel with them. But maybe it's about your heart. Do you hear the message? Do we hear what Jesus is preaching? Do we respond? Is our heart the good soil? 
And I get it, fruit is not just evangelism, but we must build relationships, lasting relationships. Guys, when I think about bringing 100 people to Christ, it is absolutely overwhelming. But there is exactly 100 people in this room right now. And every single one of you could pick one person, one person that you could speak into their life, build relationships with, and share about who Jesus is with as you disciple them. As you get them following Jesus, as you start to help them be passionately in love with Jesus. Guys, that's doable. And we can make excuses all we want, but when was the last time you shared your faith with an unbeliever? We often have to evaluate that in our life. If we are passionately in love with Jesus, other people should know about it, both in this community and in this church. Which goes to our next point. Are you a light? Are you a light for Jesus? Mark 4.21 And He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or a bed? And not on a stand. That's where our light should be. Our light should be on the stand. Do you know Jesus? And if you do, you cannot hide it. You must proclaim it. It is the way that we live. Is your life a light for Jesus? You have been so blessed. Every one of you has heard about who Jesus is, but do you keep it for yourself or do you live a life in reverence to Christ? Later in this story, we're going to see a man that did not keep himself, keep it to himself. He heard the gospel and he let the light radiate to anybody who was willing to listen. Guys, what's beautiful about the gospel is we don't have to fully understand everything as God does a work in their life. Number three, God does the growing. Mark 4.28 The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Our job. Our job is to plant the seed. Are we willing to plant the seed? And I get it. Every once in a while, we get to be part of the harvest. But our true job is planting the seed. And what stops us from doing it? Rejection? Lack of knowledge? Do we really believe Jesus is who He said He is? My wife, she told me a story the other day about a man who tries to get rejected five times a day so that rejection is the goal. And what's amazing as he was doing this is how often he thinks he's going to get a no, but he actually gets a yes. And the same holds true when you share your faith. And what I love, even though our job is to plant the seeds, sometimes God lets us be part of the harvest. Just Wednesday, Riley got to pray with Tegan. As Tegan gave her life to Christ. Let's give God a hand. I mean, does that not put a smile on your face? Right? Getting to be part of it. Mark 4.29, when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle because the harvest has come. The harvest has come. And the man that we're going to learn about soon did just that. He was not anybody important. In fact, he was the opposite of important. He was evil, a nuisance that some might say, a pariah in his community. How often do we give up on somebody because they do not fit the mold for us to be comfortable? How many friends do you have that are not like you? How many friends do you have that do not believe in Jesus? 
I don't know why. I have no idea. Maybe they're mean. Maybe they're broken. Maybe they smell bad. I don't know. Maybe they're a criminal. Maybe they are just not smart enough. I don't know. Why do we not have friends that need to know who Jesus Christ is? You see, because this world says so many people are unqualified by the world's standards, but in the kingdom of Christ, nobody is unqualified because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about His power. I can have the most power that I could ever muster, and it is nothing compared to the infinite power that Jesus has. And I will take that any day. I am nothing in comparison to an infinite Christ. This leads us to number four. God can use anybody. Mark 4, 31 and 32. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and put out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Our God, our God can use anyone to grow His kingdom and it is not our job to choose who He uses. I don't care how significant you think you are or how significant I think I am or how insignificant we think somebody else is. God will use the least of us. Because in our understanding of humility and our surrender to Christ, we can truly display His glory in the way we respond to the Gospel. Jesus is telling parables. He's describing what it's like to live for Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus, I'm staying there and I'm preaching to the masses. I'm trying to reach the most people possible. I need to make the most impact. But yet, Jesus takes time out to not only speak to His disciples, but to show the Gospel in action. So let's set the stage. Now our Jesus, He has a huge crowd. He has this huge ministry and He says this in Mark 4.35, Let us go across to the other side. Let us go across to the other side. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking right now, Jesus, our church is growing. right? God has given us a ministry right here. We're about to embark on a building project. There's a synagogue down the way that we can purchase and remodel. Do you not know how much money we can make and give to the poor? But they didn't say any of that. In fact, it says that they went. Mark 4.36, and leaving the crowd, they took Jesus with them in the boat just as He was. And other boats were with Him. What I so desperately love about Jesus is that even though He has the 99, He's always looking for the one. He's going after the one. He's going to the other side. He is never afraid to go to the other side. I love this church. Everybody's always telling me that I need to shepherd you, which is so true. But why did Jesus shepherd His 12 disciples? Now, He loved them. But it was not just to save them. He had an idea that they would save others for all eternity. You and I, all of us. Those 12 men spoke out and down the generations, for generations to come, you are part of what they spoke of what they shared the Gospel, of what Jesus Christ had done in their life. So why do I pour into you? It's more than just love for you. It's so that your love will pour out to others. That love that you have for Jesus. 
You see, maturity is not just about knowledge. It's about knowledge in action. And Jesus is about to go demonstrate what it looks like to be changed by the Gospel. Jesus' plan is to seek out the next person that needs salvation. He does it in Mark 1, verse 38. And He said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. Jesus is continually going to the next town. He's continually going to the other side. Some of this message that I'm going to share with you today comes from a video by Matt Reagan. You can see it on Right Now Media. He's a pastor at Southeastern Christian Church. We watched this video during the men's breakfast and it made a huge impact in my life. And Jesus right now, He's devoted to His disciples. He's demonstrating how He wants them to live. He wants all people all people to hear the Gospel. Jesus has a mission. And His mission is never one of just evangelizing. It's never one of just serving or, or demonstrating this action or discipleship. His mission is holistic. It's, it's whole. It's everything. And right now, He's building into the life of these 12 men who are going to share the Gospel with anyone that has ears to hear. You see, even on the boat ride to the other side, Jesus uses this as a teaching moment. He's going to show them what it means to trust in God. He's going to show them and demonstrate the greatness of His power. So a storm just happens to arise. And these disciples, they understand the storm. They're fishermen. This is not just some little storm. This is one of those storms that destroys boats and drowns people. The Sea of Galilee sits 700 feet below sea level. And the mountains around it, especially on the east side, are 2,000 feet above sea level. There's a Mount Hermon that's just 30 miles to the northeast that's 9,000 feet above sea level. So you know that when that storm comes in, it comes out of nowhere. And yet, Jesus, there is no worry. As this storm hits, as it's hitting this boat, and the disciples are scared, and Jesus is just sitting there, Asleep, laying down, catching some Z's. And I imagine Jesus. Right? He wakes up nonchalant. Maybe throws a little yawn in there. I know I added that one, but... Drops three words. Mark 4.39 Peace be still. Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. It's like a Jesus mic drop. Everyone is amazed. They went from this great fear of the storm to now this great fear of this power of Jesus. We see in Psalm 65-7 that only God has the power to control the weather. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Mark 4:41. And they, the disciples, were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? It is not every day that you see somebody who can control the weather. And he rebuked the weather like he rebuked the unclean spirit in Mark 1, 25-26. It says this, Be silent and come out of him as Jesus talked to this demon. And then the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Our Jesus has the power to calm the storms both on the outside of your life and the ones that reside inside of you. And He's about to clear the unclean spirits from this crazy naked dude. 
Would you dare bring the gospel to a naked dude? Let's read on. Mark 5.1. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. Now we're not exactly sure where this is, but I believe that it's this town with this Arabic name called Gersa, which is related to the Greek name Gerasa. The reason I believe that this area is where Jesus was is because this is the only place in the Sea of Galilee where there's a steep cliff where these pigs could have went into the water. And also, not far from there, about a mile south are these tombs, these caves that this demon-possessed man lived in. And it's also one mile north of this area of Decapolis. It's on the eastern shore of a predominantly Gentile territory. And before Jesus can even stretch His legs, it says this in Mark 5.2, Immediately, immediately there met Him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And this guy is crazy. The townspeople are trying to bind Him. They're putting chains and shackles on Him. And He's literally wrenching them off and breaking the shackles. Now, I am not messing with a guy that can break chains with his bare hands. And not only that, this guy is crying out day and night. This man is absolutely tormented. He is cutting himself with stones. Man, if this guy walked into our church, would we ask him to leave? This guy's never met Jesus. But yet the demons that reside in him know that they are no match for Jesus. So they try desperately to plead with him. Mark 5-7, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. They are begging Jesus. They're basically saying, in the name of you, Jesus, do not carry out justice on us for the things that we have done to this poor man. What did they deserve? How long had they been tormenting this man? And what I love to see is the demons even know who Jesus is, which is more than I can say for the scribes earlier in Mark. And Jesus says, come out of this man. And then He asks the demon what his name is. And this is how He responds in Mark 5.9. He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Talk about a scary movie. Now, a Roman legion is about 6,500 people. That is not a small number of unclean spirits. This guy is possessed as it gets. His head is spinning more times than the exorcist. Guys, this is scary. But our Christ, He has control over the demons. He has control over all these unclean spirits. He has control over even the pigs. And for some reason, these demons don't want to leave the region. I have no idea why. But Christ gives them exactly what they want. How often does that happen? They want to enter the pig, so Christ lets them. Verse 13. So He gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and a herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Can you imagine that? I mean, imagine a herd of pigs. Now, before this, I didn't even know that there were herds of pigs, but 2,000 of them sitting there? That is a lot of bacon. Guys, this area on the other side of the sea. This area was supposed to be an area given to Manasseh, one of Joseph's sons. This is supposed to be a Jewish area, and yet there are pigs. 
There are not pigs in the Jewish culture. This is not an area that we want to emulate. This area is not kosher. They are not worried about God's laws. This is the other side of the lake. And these pigs are everywhere. And I can see the herdsman's face as their jaw drops, as these pigs run down into the water. And they have no choice but to pick up their robes and to run to town to tell somebody, partly scared, partly stunned, partly whatever words you want to put in there, but these guys have absolutely seen something that they will never forget. And then everyone must come back to see what has happened. You see, they know this demon-possessed man. I mean, how could you not? They know that He likes to run around naked and they see this in verse 15. And they came to Jesus and they saw this demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Every one of us would have been afraid. We'd have been scared to see this man with the power that he had. And now he was calm, just sitting there. We like to pretend like we would be celebrating, but every one of us would be scared in that moment. And then Jesus, knowing that He had came to do what He had done and He had accomplished it, goes to leave. He had saved this man. Verse 18, As He was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Him that He might be with Him. This guy wants to be with Jesus. This guy loves Jesus. He was dead. He was possessed. He was not his own. He was controlled by thousands of what the world has to offer. Be like somebody addicted to meth or alcohol or whatever you could be addicted to. He was absolutely out of his mind, and now he was set free by who, what Christ had done. He had set him free from the bondage of this world. Jesus had literally gone across the lake for this man. But yet, He's not going to take him back with Him. He had another purpose for this man. Verse 9, He says this, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. And what did the man do? Verse 20, And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone, everyone marveled. He did not go into seminary for years to learn about Jesus. He was consumed by evil in bondage to literal demons. And now he'd been set free and everyone was going to hear about what Jesus had done. All that mattered was that he was saved. That Jesus had mercy on him and he proclaimed it. And everyone marveled. They had seen what happened. They knew what He used to be like. And now they could see this transformation that Jesus had done. They could see the difference as He proclaimed Christ as the solution. You see, I have this friend named Jackson Kettner. I grew up with Jackson and he was one of my best friends. He still is my best friend, one of my best friends today. And my friend, when we got into high school, got caught up in alcohol and, and it was very dangerous. He was addicted to alcohol. In fact, he got more DUIs than probably this room combined, to be honest with you. And it got to the point, he eventually went in front of the judge and his wife was there. And the, the judge asked his wife, what should I do with this man? And his wife said, get rid of him. Send him somewhere because he cannot be with me. 
And that judge sent him to Boston where he went to Team Challenge. And for a year he was there and Christ did a work in his heart. And as he came back, that man was completely changed as he took his construction business in Buffalo, Wyoming. And he took people that were on probation. He put them to work for him. And as they were working for him, he proclaimed Christ to them. He took them to church. He proclaimed by the works of his hand that he was changed by Christ and he was a light for all to see. And he's still that man today. Man, if we are changed, our life should show Christ. But if we never proclaim Christ, then it looks like we did the work. That we did the work in our life and that we get the glory. It is not good enough to just give, to to just have a good life. There must be a proclamation of why we are different. We must proclaim why we are changed. What if Jesus had stayed on the other side in your life? What if he was not willing to go to the other side for your blackheartedness and my blackheartedness when we were living in sin, when we were not kosher, when we were on the other side of the lake? What if he didn't go to us? Where would we be? And he's going to use each and every one of us to go to the other side. He has purposed you for a person in this world for you to be the one that shares the gospel with if you're willing to go. And on the surface in this story, it looks like he went over there to save one man, which is so worth it. But as we look on, we see that he had a bigger plan because he always has a bigger plan. He sees everything. Some time's going to take before he goes back, but we see him go across the lake. He heals a, a woman, he heals Jairus' daughter. He gets rejected in his hometown. How do you get rejected in your hometown? How can you see what Jesus is doing and yet you reject it? The world does it all over. It shouldn't stun us that much. We see what Jesus does in people's lives. I see people where Jesus has made a complete impact on how they are with meth or with drugs or with alcohol, whatever it looks like, and all of a sudden they get out and they reject Him. The very man that feeds 5,000 with a Lunchable. I mean, he walks on water. And what I love about Jesus, he even takes the time out to mess with some Pharisees. It's the Wyoming night in us, right? (laughs) These Pharisees that think it's more important to have clean hands than a clean heart. Guys, Mark uses this word clean over, or this word unclean over and over again. It's not about the unclean in this world around you. It's about whether or not God has done a work in your heart. Has Jesus cleansed you? Are you clean because of what He has done? Has He cleaned your soul? And when that happens, are you sold out for Jesus? Because this man was. Turn forward in your Bibles to Mark 7, verse 31. And then He returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. Jesus is all over He's all over, going to anybody who's willing to listen. And then he returns back to this region of Decapolis where this man was. And what does he find there? Mark 8.1 In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, Why do you think there was a great crowd? This huge crowd. 
They had heard what Jesus had done from the lips of the man who had been redeemed, restored, and released from bondage. And Jesus is over there and He's preaching and He's healing and He's doing this for three days. Three days as He's speaking into these people who have heard from this man that had a demon, a legion of demons in Him. And then we see the disciples. Now this should give us great comfort when we know that we are messed up. You see, they've already fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And this is what it says in Mark 8.4. And His disciples answered Him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? If you are having trouble trusting that God can do anything, then you would make a great disciple. They have seven loaves of bread. They have at least three fish. More than they had the first time. And yet they doubt what He can do. And Jesus is about to replay it by feeding at least 4,000. You see, one heart for Christ can make all the difference. Never underestimate the power of one changed man or one changed woman. Jesus. Jesus never avoided the people living in darkness. He didn't avoid you when you were there. He engaged them with healing. He engaged them with servanthood. He engaged them with the truth. And we can do the same in this world that we can live in. Do you know this region of Decapolis? It was ten Greek cities. This region became a place of refuge for the Christians as they were dispersed from Jerusalem in A.D. 70 as the Romans came through and ransacked everything but left the other side of the lake alone. If we don't think that this man made a difference, then we are not reading our Bible and we are not reading history. This man changed an entire region. Decapolis and these major cities were a major sending out point for the Gospel just 350 years later. They send a bishop to the Council of Cilicia in AD 359. We know that there was still a Christian presence there 300 years later. In that same video that I talked about by Matt Reagan, he tells a story to end the video. He talks about getting on a plane. And in there, he talks about how every one of us, every time we get on a plane, we get stuck in between Bubba and Bubba in the middle seat. And as he gets on this plane, he sees a couple sitting there, and the aisle seat is wide open. It's like Shekinah glory just beaming down on it. And he's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I've got a great seat. And he goes and he sits down, and the man says, welcome. We are going to get wasted drunk. I just closed a major business deal. It turns out that this major deal that he landed was in the adult film industry. And the first thought that went through Matt's head is, what did you do to me, Jesus? <laughs> he starts to realize that this guy is from a different world. He started thinking, Lord, these people cannot be any less like me. But in his thinking, he started to think, these people, the gospel is for them too. And so he started to talk to them. And then all of a sudden, this guy looks up and goes, are you Christian? And Matt says, yeah. 
And out of the blue, he just starts to weep. And Matt can't get this guy calmed down. He's talking 100 miles an hour. As Matt's trying to get him calmed down, he finally does. And the man says, I woke up this morning and I was lost. And I knew that my life had to change. And for some reason, I knew it had to be Jesus. Even though I have no idea anybody that has given their life to Jesus. I have no idea. I have not been around anybody that says that they are a Christian. You see, my life is filled with drug dealers and people that are empty, building empty empires. There is no Jesus in my world. And this guy just looked at him. And he said, I asked God to put a Christian in my path today. And then half crying, he said, can you please, please, I beg of you, can you just talk about Jesus this entire flight? Please don't talk about anything else. I want to hear about this Jesus God can use anybody. He can use those that are addicted to alcohol. He can use those that are in the adult film industry. He can use those that have committed murder. He can use those that have committed adultery. He can use anybody. He can use you and He can use me. And God will go to the other side and He will free you from your darkness. And He asks that you be willing to do the same. We have to be willing to go to the other side? Are we, is this church, willing to go to the other side because there is somebody on the other side that can make a difference in this world. There is somebody that can be changed by the Gospel of Jesus Christ that can make a difference in this world if we are willing to go. Are we willing to let God radically change us? So that we can radically change others because of Jesus Christ. Not because of us, but because He flows in us and our love, our passionate love for Him flows out of us to anyone who has ears to hear. That's my challenge. Is there somebody in your life, somebody on the other side of the lake that must hear about who Jesus is and are you willing to go share it with them because you have been so blessed. You have been saved out of your darkness. You have been saved into light and we must share it. That's what it means to love Jesus. The Gospel of Jesus Christ passionately in, inside of you? Do you love Him? Do you absolutely love Him? And if you do, let anybody know. Let everybody know. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. Thank you that you saved a wretch like me and a wretch like that you were willing to go to the other side to the to the darkness. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for this church. I thank you for their heart. I thank you that this place has people that are willing to go. People that love you so passionately that they will share it with all that are willing to hear. Lord, let us plant seeds. Let us not worry about rejection. 
Let us focus on You. Let us be passionately in love with You. And let that passion for You flow out of us to anyone that's willing to listen. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.